need an Advil, maybe a second chance. Hey! Welcome to Stargate Second Chances and Walking Through the Stargate Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this is episode six, where we'll be talking about the season one episode, The Knox. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a Patreon first episode, and so I want to say special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters who make this yes, possible. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate that a lot. Uh, we literally would not be doing this without you, um, and it's just a delight and a fun thing to be able to come back yeah, and su- see super these fun. episodes again. Mm-hmm. So thank you very, very much for that. Mm-hmm. Brent. Yeah. The Knox. Yeah. Couple of background things uh, I want to just mention. This was uh, Charles Carell was the director. Yeah. Hart Hansen was the teleplay writer, the the writer yeah. for this episode. Uh, those are names <laughs> that are not especially familiar to me. No. Um, <laughs> I didn't look this up. I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure that this is probably uh, one of at most two uh, credits for each of those for Stargate. Yeah. Uh, and possibly just the one. I did notice uh, when the titles were rolling who the executive, no, what was it? The something, I guess, ex- story consultant? So, executive story consultant was none other than our good friend, Catherine Powers. Ah, well, yes, mm-hmm. there you go. Back in back in the Catherine Powers day. Back in the Catherine Powers day. Yep. Uh, the original air date for the Knox was September 12, 1997. Mm-hmm. And the IMDB score for this episode is 8.3. Yeah, out of 10? Out of 10. Yeah. So, uh, IMDb thinks this is a reasonably good episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Brent, we reviewed this episode on October 4, 2018. Oh my gosh, over three years ago. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. We've been doing this for a while. We have been. <laughs> oh, how much fun is that? Oh, Awesome. Yeah. So... Uh, with that, Brent, uh, tell me what mm-hmm. this episode is about. Sure, yeah. So uh, this is the one where uh, Mr. Secret- Mr. Secretary is uh, questioning the effectiveness of the Stargate program, which made me wonder, is this like a prototype for the Kinsey character that we see later on? But uh, regardless, he's standing there and he's all like, so what have you done for me lately? And Teal is all like, how about some invisibility? And Carter is all like, tactics! And O'Neill's like, my hair. It looks great. Everybody was looking so young, like oh, really yes. young. Yes. So they go to a planet and right away, you know, there's going to be trouble because O'Neill loses the team. Oh, hey, just kidding. He forgot to look behind him. Ah, sight, sight gags. Hey, but hey, so seeing is believing, right? I don't know. Anyway, so they're, they're trying to find a big invisible hummingbird thing with teeth in order to understand how it does the invisibility thing. And it all seems fairly straightforward. And oh, boop, boop, where's the gate? Uh, but you can't blame O'Neill for not turning around on this one because it legit disappeared, right? So they no sooner lose the gate, but wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it, Zach? They find Apophis. Apophis. Season one. What is this? Episode like seven? Eight. Apophis. Not cool post um, Skolar. So, 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 who is the bad guy? The Sokar. You know, Sokar. So okay. Post Sokar. Skolar. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. I wasn't going to look it up. Cause uh, whatever, I'm not, I'm not, I'm like that. But whatever, we got the we got the the <laughs> the flimsy standabout like 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 really accentuated eyeliner, gold tight wearing Apophis and his uh, Jaffa lackeys, because apparently 
Uh, they are also on the hunt for the invisible hummingbird at the exact same time as SG-1 is. Isn't that convenient? Although How I suppose, convenient? I suppose one could make kind of a tangential argument that Teal'c was... Oh, <laughs> sorry. I just realized what I was about to say, and it sounds so ridiculous, but I'm going to carry on. Teal'c was aware of Apophis's schedule. <laughs> and not saying that, that Teal'c picked this planet at this time because he knew Apophis was going to be there, but that it was kind of in his head. Like, oh yeah, like, you know, I, Apophis I'm, was totally going to be visiting I'm just imagining Teal'c uh, going through his Google calendar for Apophis. Yes! <laughs> so, hey, yes! look at that! Well, he, <laughs> on September he was of prime. 1997, Apophis yeah, is going yeah, to be yeah, on yeah. the Invisible Hummingbird planet. And less, less like that, but more like several months prior, Apophis was like, Teal'c. Cree, look for the next available time when I can go look search for that that hummingbird again and put it on my calendar now. And then later, Teal'c is like, "All right, the invisible hummingbird. That's what we should do now." <laughs> it just happens to be the same time. Anyway, they're all there, <clears throat> but of course, this represents a tremendous opportunity for SG One because our season one heroes uh, are seeing this as the single most important. A bad thing that has happened, right? So, 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 um, um, oh golly, Scara and Sharae, Sharae, thank you, uh, have most recently, like just a few episodes prior, had been taken hostage by Apophis, uh, uh, Sharae as his new wife, Scara as something else. Did he get a symbiote too? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, at this point. So like, it's a big deal. Right. And, and Daniel Jackson is very, very upset about it, but this is like first half first quarter of season one, Daniel Jackson. Like he's really interested in the fate of Share and Scara because obviously, um, and so here they are and they're all on this planet together. And this is a great opportunity to, to get Apophis. This is like a huge thing. So they attempt to ambush the system lord, but they are without their trusty C4. And as a result, they cannot defeat him. Mm -hmm. But not only that, (laughs) Zach, they die in the process. Oh, no. A fact which I kind of forgot. And then I realized, no, that's actually central to the plot. Um, But wait, they're not dead. They're raised by necromancers who look like tree people. Hooray. Little is said at first, but soon Quark is able to, or I'm sorry. um, Oh, boy. I should have written down the character's name because it was said at one point. Or two points. Oh yeah, I can't think of it off. Whatever, of I'll just say Quark. Um, uh, Quark was like, "Hey, we were able to pick up your language because uh, you know we can." It took us a while to learn your language, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, you're super smart." So, <clears throat> the meat and the potatoes of the story is had right. Who is the powerful? Who is the powerless? Perhaps all is not all what it seems to be. Perhaps rainwater off of bark of Vancouver trees is actually addicting, right? Jackson's trying to quit. It, um, it, it could be. Mm-hmm. We go back, we go forth and back with death and not death a couple of times over, and we end up with a heartwarming lesson on humility. Because you see, or should I say not see, hey oh, the Knox will be just fine. Aww. Look at that gleaming city off in the distance. Right, so this is, this is, this is that one. Yeah. So, Brent, mm-hmm. after having rewatched the Knox... Mm-hmm. This time, what'd you think of it? I was, there was a little bit about it, which I was kind of getting hung up on. Uh, but as it, but as a, as a function of now being 
done with season six as it happens uh, from when we're recording this one. Uh, we just finished season six. And, um, you know, at the end of season six, man, the team, the actors who portray the team, they they have gelled the um the story knows where it wants to go. The you know the 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 there are, there are great episodes had so regularly that when a mediocre episode comes along the line, I get I get ticked off. Like we're at that part where things are just humming, just 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 going very very well. And here in the season one episode, uh, you know some of those congealed parts have not yet come together. I was noticing how. Um, and I say this in a positive way, how much effort uh, Michael Shanks and Richard Dean Anderson were putting into portraying the, uh, the, the, the rapport that their characters have at this point, um, you know, finishing each other's sentences, almost type of a thing. Like, you know, like, you know, the ghouled are bad, like very bad. Yeah. Like they're, 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 I can't remember what word nasty. They're nasty and bad. bad. They both say, yeah. And, um, and that was I, I I chuckled at that part, not because of the line itself, but because of uh I was seeing the beginnings of what later became, you know, such a huge part of the story, uh, as demonstrated through the personas that Michael Shanks and Richard Dean Anderson bring to their particular characters. Right, that was the, that. Th- those were early days that I just saw on screen with the Knox, and right. you know I'm used to now that 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 charisma being so easily done on screen that it just it just it just falls off of them whenever they're both in the same the same shot together. Um, and then we're you know the, we were still trying to kind of get some of the other characters up and going. Right, so Sam Carter's character is still a little bit. Um, I get the sense that uh, Amanda Tapping was still being given a lot of direction of like, you know, I need you to stand here and smile real big. Um, uh, you know, you're 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 the feminine touch of this thing. So when the little kid comes on here, I need you to get all doe eyed. Um, and that's OK. That's OK. It's it's uh, it's certainly consistent with her overall character as time goes on. But in these later seasons that we're in, that feels much more polished, refined and believable versus this point which is you know you're 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 the you're the eye candy who's also smart oh we didn't see that coming that's the twist right like it's okay but we're not there yet um and then you get the big the you know the big um question that this episode is bringing which is just because we see a bunch of forest people does that mean that they are defenseless get to the end of the episode the answer is no i was realizing about halfway through this rewatch that knowing how it ends really pulls a lot of the oomph out of those middling parts that the, uh, that the confidence that Quark was showing was no longer quaint because I knew what he was talking about. So as a result, when he's like, we'll be fine, I was the the tension had evaporated for me. It, like, don't worry, we're gonna be fine. And I'm like, yeah, you're totally gonna be fine because I know about the floating city, right? And so it was a little less um, engaging as I seem to recall three years ago when I first saw it. Uh, but it was not bad, and overall, it was enjoyable. It was, um, I, and also it was enjoyable because Apophis is such a bad bad guy, like. 
uh, Peter Williams does a really good job. He does a great job. It, he really, really does. But I kept laughing because he, because in in their infinite wisdom, the 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 story writers and the and the director decided to keep Apophis in that ravine for like the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> the very ravine where he was ambushed, he decides is the spot that he wants to hang out for the entire episode. And then that kind of posture that he had as he was about to turn on his shield, it worked. But it also kind of had this like air of, um, well, let me rephrase that. Um, he, he didn't necessarily look confident and arrogant. He looked afraid and frail when the shield did its job. He got, he got all confident, but like in the scenes before, um, you know the the way that he was looking around in order to convey that this might be an ambush was was i don't know it didn't feel quite right um that he walked into an ambush feels about right especially for season 1 apophis this is sort of the reason why i kind of like bagging on him so much because he was just a bumbling idiot and i'm supposed to believe that he's like this terrifyingly powerful system lord i mean he just looks like he's getting lucky all the time but um but on the other hand, like as the story throughout the seasons has really brewed, we we've established that the system lords indeed are are worthy of the fear that is trying to be conveyed early on. It's just that we hadn't quite found the recipe yet. So it was just kind of weird to see him kind of standing around there, being all like, you know, I had him right here. He was gonna die. I need you to find him while I stand here in this ravine. And you know, why, why isn't he going back to his ship? I guess not. I guess they gated in. But you know, I don't know. It was just a couple of weirdness parts about it. And not least of which, boy, how convenient it is that they decide to go to this planet at the exact same time that Apophis is going to this planet. Like, uh, I get it, story, but whatever. Like, it was super duper convenient. So, all right, on the whole. How did I like this one? It was fun um, to go back to this thing. I don't think it quite had as much of an oomph as it did the first time that I saw it. And I'm certainly like just charmed, but for all the wrong reasons about Apophis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's nice to see him again, uh, especially in that season one like style like that. That itself was kind of fun. So, yeah, good time overall. So what about you? What did you think about this rewatch? So, um. The only thing about this episode that I especially don't like is how big a deal they make of uh, if we're going to go after Apophis, we need to make sure that we're really smart about this. Mm. And they had a Keystone Cops approach to capturing the system mm-hmm. lord. Yeah. And no shocker that they all died as a result. Yeah. Um. I would have loved to have seen something that looked like it was actually planned then, then, rather than, yeah, let's, yeah, uh, yeah, let's yeah. all hide, and when they get over here, we'll jump out and go, boo! Yeah, 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 totally <laughs> And, and you're wondering why it didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so other than that, um, you know, I like it. Uh, yes, there are some things that are very convenient for story, um, as you mentioned, uh, Apophis just happened to, happening to be on that planet the exact same time they are and all of this stuff. Um, that's very convenient. Um, it's not something that we haven't seen in other sci-fi, in other Stargate. Oh, totally. Either. 
mm-hmm. many many times before. Um, so I can I can uh, give a little bit of a pass to that. Um, I do think that that you you're right about Apophis in that uh, he's got this look of I'm kind of a weakling. Mm-hmm. But I've got cool stuff, and when the cool stuff isn't working, I'm scared to death. But when it is working, I'm like, I got yes. this. Yeah. Go and get him, because I said so. Right, right. Um, incidentally, if you're going to seek out any animal life, don't wear a bright, shiny, golden suit. Because oh, yeah. uh, that's just going to make you stick out like a sore thumb. I mean... It made us easy for us to identify who he was when he was walking down on the trail at a medium shot. <laughs> Naturally. Um, I also noticed that in the when they were filming this, it was clearly raining. Yes. Um, yeah. And there were a few times when I could actually hear the rain coming down. And there were a few times where I could tell by you look at their mouths, their mouths and their words weren't quite in sync. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah, and clearly what was happening, and there's a technical term, and I can't think of what it is off the top of my head, but but basically they were lips, they were re-recording their audio, watching the screen so they could match it up. Yep, uh, because the audio that they were getting on that day of filming was clearly too muddled with rain and all of that stuff, and mm-hmm. so they had to re-record it, and it just wasn't quite uh, right there, um, but. You know, the, it's it's a trick that you have to do when you have things like that happening. Um, and they do it several times in Stargate throughout the years. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm just making note of that. I'm not really saying anything sure. uh, positive or negative. I also noticed in this episode um, that there's a lot less snark in this episode. Uh, O'Neill especially is far more stoic than he is in later seasons. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this this whole episode has the feel of a stereotypical uh, science fiction show uh, in, in that um, you could have changed the names and the characters and put this in a Star Trek setting and it would have uh, worked pretty much the same. Yep. Uh, not that it was stolen or anything like that, but just no. Uh, this was the early seasons, you know, season one, early on the season. They're trying to figure things out. Um, you know, that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, oh yeah. But you're clearly not getting the same type of of um, you know the O'Neill that we see in this episode uh, is not the same. Uh, portrayal of O'Neill we saw in, say, Full Circle, right? Yes. Um, And though, technically speaking, uh, Richard Dean Anderson's O'Neill is a bit closer to Kurt Russell's O'Neill at this point. Um, It's not close enough. So, like, Michael Shanks' Jackson is very close to uh, James Bader's Jackson. Right. Um, And... RDA's is not, but RDA has not yet come into his own with the character either. So we're kind of in this middle ground yep. where it's, you're like you said, it's kind of, it's kind of overly generic. Um, and I think maybe, maybe what happens is as soon as, uh, 
O'Neill's hair goes gray, the snark comes in. <laughs> is that what it is? is it, there's a direct correlation between well, so, gray hairs so and snark? So you start really seeing the gray come in, I think, at the end of season two when he's yeah. dealing with Hathor and whatnot. And that's the episode when he's like, you heard me, Cree! Ah, Cree! <laughs> yep. Yep. So I, I think maybe there is a corollary um, <laughs> there. Nice. Um, you know, so, but this is also an episode that is, in terms of the themes of the the episode, which is things don't always look yes. the way they are. Yes. Uh, is very tight, and it's just woven in throughout the entire episode. Uh, as you mentioned from the very get-go, uh, the first thing we see is O'Neill walking out of the gate, and nobody's there at first right. until they're like, oh, hey, Colonel, we're over here. Right. Uh, and it actually makes sense because they're like, well, as soon as we stepped out of the gate, we heard the buzzing of the hummingbird, and so we ran over here to go check it out. Um, you know, so that, that that's plausible. It makes sense. Um, you know, apparently he had to have a slight conference there of a, of a you know, 30 seconds or so uh, with, with Hammond back at the gate before he actually goes through. Uh, otherwise, there wouldn't have been anywhere near that much time. Yeah, yeah, but, that's but, right. But, you know, we, we've actually seen that happen, though, too. So That's, tr- that's true. You know, it's not ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, we've got the invisible hummingbird, uh, which isn't what it seems. It's just this giant hummingbird with teeth. And it's the knocks that make it invisible. Uh, the knocks are not as simple-minded as you seem. Um, I I don't think, for me, knowing what happens um, takes away some of the shine of that because now you see uh, the intentional simplicity of the knocks, um, and basically they're still like, "Look, we're fine. We're okay." It's none of your business. Mm-hmm. And the our heroes are like, no, 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 no. The strong have to protect the weak. And they're like, um, yeah, no, that's what we're doing for you there, Sparky. <laughs> you know, one thing, and I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to break your train of thought. I'm sorry. Just because oh, it, this is the spot where I happen to sort of notice it. Uh, when, when, you know, like it's like two thirds of the way in the episode. And we're really, we're really getting into the high gear of, of the Knox going, no, really, we're fine. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, Quark made mention that, like, uh, I can't remember how it was said, but it was, it was, it was definitely said that at that moment, SG1 was also invisible. Like, we're all invisible now or something like, you know, like we're protected now or something. It was right after, right after the life ceremony thing that was done. Uh, the first time, and they kind of shimmer in and out of visibility, and yeah. and then um, you know, but we're fine now, type of a thing. Um, and I, but it was said differently, and it was heavily implied that not only were the knocks invisible at that moment, but also SG one was too, which is fine, um, right? We it's the knocks that make the bird invisible, and so it's the knocks that can make the things invisible, and so therefore SG one's invisible. But it was kind of glossed. And I certainly didn't pick it up the first time that I watched it. Um, and that would have been interesting. I think that might have been interesting to play around with. I can see how the story didn't really have time to do much with the with the notion. But if that's true, if, you know, no, really, everybody is literally invisible right now, then that does allow for some exploration of 
uh, Apophis and the Jaffa trying to find them in a way that might have made that part of the story a little bit more tantalizing hmm. uh, versus the one that we get where, which is okay. You know what? I've kind of forgot about it. That's the, you know, it's, it's okay. Shackle and Shackle and Teal have a history, right? And it's, and, and we bring it out here in this episode. We talk about it a little bit. We can see some of the animosity that the Jaffa have for t- towards Teal. Uh, we can see Teal's uh, altruism at play here. Um, we can see the, the ruthlessness of uh, a typical Jaffa, um, uh, you know what I mean? Like there, there was there was actually a decent amount of okay world building that was put in there, and I kind of didn't appreciate it on the rewatch until you and I are talking about it right now. And I don't even know mm-hmm. if I picked up on it the first time that I watched it either necessarily. Um, but in my in my sort of ponderance of like, oh, maybe there was something more we could have done with the story if we were playing around with the notion of, of visible versus invisible. Well, yeah, at the expense of what um, we would have had to cut something else out. And as a, as it stands, there wasn't really an awful lot of story that felt superfluous. Not really. Right. So um, uh, let's see here. Kevin uh, said mm. that he made a comment that uh, the, the flying hummingbird with teeth uh, if you listen carefully, the sound that it makes is the same type of sound as the wormhole. Um, huh. And he even suggests that, Brent, if you choose to go back and isolate that sound, you can then insert it at this point in the episode. <laughs> but everybody knows how much I hate the sound of the wormhole. Like <laughs> that, that, that like ch- fingernail on chalkboard sound. Oh my gosh. Why would I subject myself to that on purpose? Uh, that screech. Oh, yes. Well, they pulled that from the movie. Yeah, it was bad. Yep. Um, now one thing that I wanted to, to talk about, just chew on a little bit with you. Um, I don't, Think let's see, I can't remember. Is this before or after Torment of Tantalus? I think this is after or before Torment of Tantalus. Yeah, I think it's before. Uh yeah, so this is the Nox and Torment of Tantalus is is episode eleven. Mm-hmm. Um so we learn in episode eleven with Torment of Tantalus that the Nox were one of the four great races. Oh the, the Asgard, the Nox, the Ancients, and the Furlings. And of course we've met um, the we now know more about the ancients. We know, of course, about the Asgard, the Nox here. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to invite your ponderings on on this being one of those ancient races. And and here's another question that I have here for you, just to chew on, um, is that uh, we now know that the well, do we know that we well, we know that the ancients were the ascended beings. That the ascended were ancients, uh, the yes. the ascended beings were ancients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also at least implied, and and if this spoils something for you, so be it. Fine. Um, uh, in the episode Frozen, we kind of meet an ancient. Um, oh, I, I, uh, yeah, I. That's right. I kind of. I guess I kind of forgot that that that's who that was. So. We now know that the ancients also are uh, the first evolution, basically, of humans. Yes. And we're a second evolution of humans. Yes. But now you have the Nox. 
Yes. Who are looking at this group of humans that look remarkably like the ancients. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And recognizing that we're not, the very young and all of that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, how, as you think about that, how does, if at all, it um, change the way you think about either this episode or about, now that we know this, we've watched this, how does that connect with the greater lore of, of what's kind of happening in your head? Well, I was thinking to myself, so uh, I'm a very, I'm going to give myself uh, some enormous compliments here. I'm an extraordinarily bright person and extremely observant. I don't think that people were voting for the Knox just because it was a fun trip down memory lane. I did forget that they were part of the four races mentioned in Tor- Torment of Tantalus, partly because though we see What's-Her-Face one more time, uh, Knox Lady. Uh, Laya. Laya. Yeah. Um, we have not yet re-encountered the Knox at all, I don't think. Um They've they've largely disappeared out of their out of our story right now. The Asgard have fa- featured prominently, but they also have kind of drifted out of out of the story at the moment. They're not gone, but like we've been doing, we've been taking care of other things recently. And then of course we got the Furbies. I mean Furlings, um, which I don't know who they are at all. Um, I I was suspecting that the Knox are going to come back into our story into a, in, in in a bit more meaningful way. Now I don't know what I mean by that because I I I, I don't sense that there is room in our story for there to be uh, a Knox component in quite the same way that we've had a Tokra component, like fighting beside us type of a thing that's not their style like i don't i don't see that kind of coming in they're, they're probably not going to be giving us technology either unless there's some real existential threat oh well maybe 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 uh what's his face not uh come on um um asphalt no um asbestos no uh um why can i never remember anubis there we go i get anubis and Apophis, I don't know, whatever. It should pick okay. a different, it's okay. different bad guy name. So Anubis being a fallen ascended, a, a, a you know, whatever that makes you, um, a purgatory, a middling. Um, uh, you know, maybe that does represent the kind of existential threat that would bring the Nox in in a way that is a bit more... Um, proactive and engaged rather than this defensive, like, don't worry, we got this type, like, standoff type of thing that said the concept of the profoundly um ancient and self-sufficient uh group of people that on the outside look like they're in decline because technically they are but for all intents and purposes they're happy with that because they've got their six systems and they're fine with it and they don't need to keep exploring and expanding etc like that kind of an idea is a thing that's out there fairly regularly that I've come across and this might be an example of a of a society that's like no really we're fine yeah the knocks will end someday as all things do we're cool with it we're just going to enjoy what we have right now it's cool um uh versus a kind of more proactive Knox that is like no no we don't want to have this end now we're going to push back against it and do something different about it for the for the sake of ourselves and others etc I mean we might we might have that but um the 
the thing that actually I'm a bit more interested in as you were sort of talking that thing through is how, you know, was it in season one or season two where the fifth race happened? Um, Hmm. I looked it up. But you know what I mean? It's it's soon. It's imminent in this storyline. It's a major piece of the puzzle or of the the overall storyline. But it does... It does start to kind of assemble this this like meta story of ancients were a first evolution of humanity. Humanity was a later evolution of humanity. The Nox are an old uh, evolution of a humanoid type. The ancients are so old that they have achieved an ascended quality, and now that's where they're at. Um, the Asgard. Uh, we, I don't know if we've been get, they're, they're in a completely other galaxy. So I'm not going to go so far as to say they also represent kind of a version of a humanity that has, exp- that has evolved into a new spot, but that's certainly one of the theories about what humankind will do as we get smarter and our brains get bigger and our bodies get weaker that we're going to turn into little grays. Um, <laughs> and then again, like I mentioned the, the Furbies, we don't, we haven't even seen them at all. So, um, furlings, uh, not furbies. Oh, I'm sorry. My mistake. My mistake. Um, come on, Brent. Uh, so, right. So, so as I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm thinking out loud as I'm kind of assembling this whole thing together, but, uh, um, yeah, I can, I can see space where the return of the, of the grandparent wisdom in the form of the Nox as distinct from the sort of like eject punch out higher plane of existence that the ascended have. I can see how that might come back into play where Mm -hmm. like it might come back into play in a moment when everything feels like it's lost and that grandfatherly grandmotherly wisdom comes back and says, yeah, you're in a tough spot. There's no doubt about it, but uh, we've seen situations this bad before and sometimes it just works out. So keep your chin up and keep going. Like I can see there being space for that kind of a kind of a moment where that would fit within what my understanding of the Nox are perfectly. And also I could be wrong. We could be suddenly discovering ourselves with like invisible allies that, uh, you know, they've got a floating city. What else do they have? That's like, you know, maybe they, maybe they have mind bullets. Mm. Telekinesis, Kyle. Um, Like, right. Like maybe that's their thing of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're super duper duper peaceful. There will be no killing here. Like that's not their way, but they get into a specific spot where they come back and they're like, you know, they, they, they turn to be like, just a lion with it where it's like, you shouldn't have woken him up. Um, <laughs> he, he did a bad, bad thing. Maybe that's their space for that too. So anyway, I don't know. Um, super rambly. So um, thanks for giving I, I me space to just toss that off those to ideas. Yeah. With go for this. It. Um, one, uh, in the new Stargate RPG that just came out, mm-hmm. uh, they do have a race and I can't remember exactly what it's called off the top of my head. But it is basically a child race of humans that the Nox adopted. Uh-huh. Um, and so they have some of their same pacifistic tendencies uh, in the role-playing game. They even have the ability to do that healing thing, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. And I haven't really had a chance to delve into that, so I don't know all the details therein. But, but there you go. But there you go. And also, yeah. so I've been... Um, as we record this, uh, the Wheel of Time 
on Amazon Prime has just recently been released. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a huge fan of the Wheel of Time novels, and I'm watching the series, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, There are some things that I have some issues with, but that's another podcast Mm -hmm. uh, or another conversation. (laughs) In any case, one of the groups are um, the Tuathoan. And, or the Tinkers, which are a group of people who follow the way of the leaf, and they're pacifists. And they have this sense that um, the greatest evil you could do in the world is basically pick up a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the leaves will get blown off of the tree and trampled into the ground, but then they also fertilize the soil so that something new can grow in that spot. Mm-hmm. That's their cycle. Um, and I see a, a parallel here between the Knox and the Tuathuan, uh, mm-hmm. where, where you've got this group of, of people, uh, ancient people, and I just kind of find the conversations would be, I think they would be fascinating to listen to the ancients and the Asgards and the Furlings and the Nox gathered together around a giant table and talking about what they should do and how they should do it and all of this stuff. And, you know, the, the, uh, the philosophical differences, because clearly the, the ancients and the Asgard, at the very least, we don't know much about the Furlings, um, believed, but the ancients and the Asgards believed that uh, uh, at least some form of defense, and possibly uh, defense in an aggressive tone, uh, is necessary for life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that the Nox are clearly against. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be interesting to hear those conversations. Um, and I just find that interesting. So I think, I think you bring up a really, really good point. Like the Asgard, I think, are the, um, I'll say it like this, even though it's a little inflammatory. They're the least sensical. What do I mean by that? The Nox have adopted pacificity at an extreme, um, and I think it's it, it is worthy to do that. Uh, the ancient have ascended. They have decided that their path is to uh, evolve and to become the next generation of life for itself. And the Asgard are interventionists. Um, and it imply, you know, they, 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 there's there's an implication that they are, uh, that they have taken the aggressive uh, angle. And that's why I mean, like, it's the least sensical because we don't see them as, like, system lords, right? Like, they, they've, they've, they've hit some kind of an equilibrium of dominance, but they're in a different galaxy, so it's okay. Um, and they intercede against the rise of another dominant threat of a neighboring galaxy. And we like them because... Because they're beating up the ghoul wool bad guys. And I think that we are justified justified in doing that. And they are our allies. They are giving us weapons, but um, you know, beefing up our beefing up our stuff. But the character archetype that's coming across with with the Greys, with Thor, with the Asgard, like it's the vibe is still trying to be like the big brother, right? Where they'll come in and they'll thump a bully on the head real hard. 
but they but they represent that calm, quiet strength. But as I'm kind of examining that a little bit further, you don't get to be that calm, quiet strength without like going the militaristic route. So maybe they're actually not as awesome as, well, <laughs> as we were so, thinking they were. Maybe they are the system lords of their own galaxy over there. It's just that. It's just that it's not over here, so we're like, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, we don't know for sure what their civilization would have been like if the replicators hadn't done what the replicators did. But um, the Asgard seemed to be almost the most like the humans of the Tauri. Yeah, 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 uh, for you know, sure. That, that idea, Agreed. like Teal voices this, right? It is our job, you know, the, it's our belief that the strength should protect the weak. That, that our job is, if we have the capacity to uh, stop the bully from beating up the little guy, then it's our job. It's our responsibility to do that. And you see some of that in the Asgard. Yep. Um, which I think, um, but then there's also a responsibility in there, right? So it's not it's not a beating up on the, the, the bully because I you know, sadistically enjoy beating people up. And since the bully is a good target, I'm going to use the bully for that. It's uh, it's, it's legitimately a, an attempt to um, stop the bully from being the bully. And if it requires blooding his nose, then okay. If I can do it without blooding his nose, that's even better, but I'm not, a, I'm not above that. I, I, um, and I, I think this is where just uh, this is where the Asgard. I think this is where they see some kindred spirit in 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 uh, in the Tauri, because uh, the, there's some some parallels and some some similarities in that. Uh, although, if we look at humanity as a whole, we can mm-hmm. tell with certainty that um, we don't do that very well overall. Mm-hmm. Um, Perhaps the the Asgard are far better. Everything we've seen suggests the Asgard are far better at doing that than than humanity. But, and I think that might be my strictly speaking criticism. I don't mean any emotive anything behind this criticism, but it's the best word for it. Um, that the knocks are a bit two dimensional, and the ascended are a bit two dimensional at the moment. Uh, there are some renegades, but as a as a as a as a theme, right? They're they're they, they kind of have like a thing, and they do their thing, and it's the Asgard that I'm kind of sitting here going, oh well. But their complexity, while complexity makes for much better characters and a lot better story, there's no doubt about it. Um, the complexity of it is also introducing um, elements of 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 uh, ill. Uh, the Nox and the Ancients could be viewed as yardsticks because in the scope of our story at the moment, they are relatively straightforward. They're, they're, they are what they are. This is the Nox. This is the Ancients. The Ancients have become ascended. They are what they are. And sure, we've introduced some renegade Ancients uh, ascended. Yes. Uh, the the Asgard had seemed like another, like, they are what they are type of a thing. But as I'm kind of examining the question, especially within the construct of the three of these four groups of people we've been introduced to in ways that are actually somewhat meaningfully defined enough so that I can actually imagine the four of them sitting around the table and saying, what do we value? And coming with at least three very different answers. 
which yeah. I think is important. Like they did not come together. At, well, let me rephrase that. It doesn't look like they came together and came up with one answer. It looks like they couldn't come up with one answer. The Nox went this way. The ancients went that way. The Asgard went this way. Who knows about the Furbies? Furlings. Oh, I'm sorry. My mistake. You know, so the the Asgard, not the Asgard, uh, the ancients tend to follow a um, almost a, a the ultimate in prime directive prime directiveness, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Do not interfere. Stay yep. out. Uh, yep. Leave them alone. We have great power, but we aren't concerned with that over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is in their ascended form as a group. Obviously, not everybody uh, ascribes to that because Oma wouldn't be doing what Oma does if she right. believed in that. Um, but that's sort of the, the, the general outlook that they have. And so you're right. We have three very distinct ways of looking at the world and dealing with great power. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, how, if I have great power, what am I supposed to do with it? Well, um, the only thing I can do is be uh, a true pacifist and try to protect everybody and value the life of all things. If I have great power, the only thing I can do responsibly is to stay out of everybody else's ways who's left and uh, let them sort it out on their own. If mm-hmm. I have great power, the only thing that I can do is try to uh, facilitate and protect the the weak and the vulnerable from those who uh, are uh, set out to abuse that. Uh, and I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's probably why I would did so much hemming and hawing when I try that I that I when I was using the word criticism or critique. I can't remember which one I used, but uh, you know what I mean, like. Like, strictly speaking, it was a critique, but by no means am I sitting here going, that's a dumb thing. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not dumb. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's worth thinking about, um, you know, did it, re- season one, episode seven, written, episode eight. you know, episode eight, um, you know, a, a director whose name I don't remember, a teleplay writer whose name I don't remember. Like, is this where they were wanting to go? Probably not. They were probably just laying down the state or, you know, laying down the foundations to something that they knew they could springboard off of, right? Like, you, there's some themes that you know that if you just kind of put them down, you can do a lot of different things with them. But you, you, you hint at something kind of neato, and then you keep moving along. It fits in nicely, and it just got us talking for, what, 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> on a philosophical question? Um, <laughs> and, and I've said I mean, this that's... before, but this is what one of the things that I really appreciate about SG-1 is that uh, it creates these things that are just, hey, this will make an interesting story right here. Oop, there it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, as as a good creative mind does, the writers and the creative powers behind this take these little one-off things, the knocks, and then they start building an entire world and how the interconnectedness plays, and it creates something that's even richer than than I think even the creators explicitly intended. Um, but it works, and I just oh, yeah. I just find that just wonderful. It, it's reminding me, so ages and ages and ages and ages ago, 
Zach, you and I, along with several others, uh, got together like we are wont to do regularly. We got together and we played some tabletop RPG stuff. And I was collaborating with a friend of ours. Um, and when she and I were first coming up with the story for the particular session that we were going to be running, I did what I normally want to do. And I was trying to create a fishbowl. And she was coming at it saying, no, don't create a fishbowl. Just make up a problem and watch them figure it out. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) How on earth am I going to know that the party is going to succeed if I don't lay down the railroad tracks for them to, oh, I see. And so there's a piece of me that's going, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like the creation of the Knox was probably on its own, a pretty decent, I mean, as you said it before, we could put in any franchise, sci-fi franchise into this story and imagine it working. Like, Instead of SG-1 coming in with their, they didn't have the P-90s then, but they had the other ones, and there's helmets. Um, instead of SG-1 coming in, imagine it's, um, you know, it's Kirk and Bones and, and Spock coming down with their phasers. Like, you could run it the exact same way. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine it's, um, you know, imagine it's Boomer and Hilo and Starbuck and um, the other guy uh, coming on oh. down on on planet and uh you know you know it's, you could run the story the exact same way sure the trappings would little look a little different your weaponry would behave slightly differently but the gist is you lose this race that you don't understand brings you back in a way that you don't understand it that in a way that looks like they're weak looks like they're about to be overpowered because the the series bad guy is right over the ridge right over there you got to improvise but then you find out that the the weaklings were actually more powerful than you expected and it works out just fine like you know this is a very tropey story but when somebody then says sits down and says you know i wonder i wonder what would have happened if the Knox were actually way more engaged than we thought they were once and what if they were part of the original crew that was really driving things in the galaxy millennia ago right like you you just start thinking about it and you realize actually they kind of fit in pretty nicely like they can slide right in here yeah like this is the spot that they occupy and it works like the story almost writes itself at that point yep okay so brent we've been talking for a while and it's time to wrap this up um do you want to so i want you to take take a sheet of paper well i i need to take a sheet of paper it's just me okay uh, I have now decided what I am going to rate this episode. Oh, oh, okay. oh dear. Again, but before we get to that, <sighs> here yeah. are some of your original thoughts from right. October 4, 2018. Okay. Uh, thanks to Julie for re-listening to our episode and writing some of these things. Yes, thank you, Julie. Um, goal ending, fun story, some logic gaps. This is you uh, yeah. that you have to ignore. Uh, it's a pleasant episode. Um, yeah, yeah. And then your quote there is, I'm a big, big sucker for these peace always wins stories. Oh, yeah, yeah I definitely am. Yep. That's for sure. Yep. Uh, me, uh, I was. I like the lessons being taught. Terrible plan and shooting to catch <laughs> Apophis. Uh, it's not believable. Yeah. Uh, yay, Armin Shimmerman. Yep. Yep. Um. And I said, this is the height of SG-1 so far as a TV show. Yeah. So. That was only eight episodes? Okay, yes, yes. I yes. mean, yeah, we hadn't gotten very far. 
And we it, had not. Is, is it the height of all of SG-1? No, no. No. But at that point in time, it's as high as it had gotten. So, yeah, that's true. Now, with, with that kind of in your head, this conversation, yep. Yep. how would you re-rate this episode? Okay. So, um... Upon the first, at, at, at first, okay, so my original rule, yeah, hey, hey, it's my show, I can do what I want. Um, uh, the original rule for the show is that, uh, for our podcast, is that I stick to my rating based off of how I was feeling immediately after watching it, right? So that's definitely true for the main show. This isn't the main show, Zach. This is the rewatch. So I think it's more appropriate for me to um, allow myself to be uh, um, uh, influenced uh, through conversation, et cetera, especially in reminding myself of, of, of things that we've seen later on. Um, I bet I rated this high at the time because it is tight. It's a good show, a good episode and well done. I have seen better Stargate since then, as you've said, but um, yeah, this one I can, I kind of forgot how it fell within the mythos of the story later on. And that's kind of important. And I do think that there might still be space to see the knocks come in in an impactful way. That's kind of fun. And it got us talking to him for a long time again. Um, I'm going to give it a six out of seven. This is a good, this is a good one. I think that it's highly dependent on the, the, that six is highly dependent on the conversation that we've had, but we've sure. had it and yeah. um, you can't deny it that, uh, you know, would it? Would I want to pull it up a third time and watch it just for funsies? Uh, I don't know. But would I want to pull it up a third time and then talk about it with you again? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna give it a six. Yeah. So what about you? Um, so that number that I was thinking in the back of my head before I uh-huh. was in fact a six as well. Uh huh. Um, this is a good episode. It's a strong episode. Um, mm-hmm. It's not an episode that you could plunk into the sixth season uh, and it work. Uh, even right. uh, Apophis aside, right? Because we know Apophis right. is dead. Um, the the stoic quality of O'Neill and and such, and the kind of yeah. the woodenness of of some of the other characters, uh, wouldn't work in the later seasons. But it works well in this first season as they're trying to get things going, as they're trying to figure things out. It's a good tight story, um, and it is a tremendous kernel that is used. Uh, upon which to build and grow new things and a depth of mythos within the series uh, that uh, can't be ignored. Yeah. Uh, And so I give it a six. Yeah. Uh, You, on the first time, any any guesses as to what you gave it the first time around? I'm going to guess I gave it a five. You are correct. You gave it a five. Yep. Nice. And I gave it a five and a half on the first yeah. viewing, and now I'm going to go up to a six. So yep. there yep. you have it. So yeah, so whoever whoever was the driving force in getting us to rewatch this thing, uh, I suspect that they were like, this is probably a bit more meaty than you thought, Brent. And yeah, you, know, you might be right. And I think that, time. if I recall correctly, that's kind of what people were thinking, is that this is an episode that we've gone now far enough that you and I can have a conversation about how this fits into yeah. the greater mythos in a way that we weren't able to uh, eight episodes in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, 
there you go, folks. Um, if you have any comments or thoughts about what we talked about here, you can email us at Walking Through the Stargate. You can, of course, go to Twitter at Stargate Walking, uh, the Facebook page and group, our website, WTTS.space. You can go visit that and say hello. Uh, of yep. course, we have the discords as well. Um, yep. There's information on our website about how to get into that, if that's correct, Brent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. uh, so you can do all of those things and let us know what you think about uh, this episode this rewatch and all of that so yeah it's good stuff yeah Damn. glad glad we rewatched this one me too one. me too so with all of that i'm zach and i'm brent and this has been stargate second chances of walking through the stargate podcast see you next time bye bye